had Hiawatha come and Hiawatha didn't know what Daganawita was going to do. He knew he's going to give a public address to the people and Hiawatha thought, I'm to translate this for him. But what Daganawita did was he used Hiawatha's grief about the loss of his wife and daughters as the way he brought forward forgiveness and comforting to the people of the world. So Hiawatha began weeping and could barely speak. And then Daganawita would wait for him to speak up. So Daganawita faced the leaders of the various tribes of the Confederacy. And he didn't offer gifts and he didn't try to trade power. You'll have this power and you'll have this power and you'll have this power. He recognized that they all had equal power in their own clans and tribes and that the women had their power and that there was no gifting or celebrating to be done. There was to be offered the comforting for the losses that every single individual in each tribe had undergone. Each individual is to be comforted. Each clan is to be comforted. Each tribe is to be comforted with offering condolence. And Daganawita began generating what I would call the great peace through the historic suffering that people had never let go of. You who have suffered so greatly, I offer you complete condolence that you be comforted from the great suffering of your heritage. Right? So he's speaking with a very deep impediment and Hiawatha is right beside him, weeping, unable to bear his own losses. And Daganawita waits for him and then continues. And he never changes the simple offering of the condolences he has that the Creator's comfort might move into each being completely. So that the good mind becomes a fulfillment in the health, hearts, and lives of the entire Confederacy. Right. So Sam is now on the way to this checklist by. It's like a, a tractor. So Sam, who, who is the reincarnation of Dagonawita, as he moves into his teens now, has already done this. And then I'm saying, don't we remember that this has already been done? So the human race now goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, we haven't been adequately comforted yet. Wait, how do I, how, what, wait a minute, what am I going to do? I go, Sam isn't going to begin with that again. He's already done that. We were supposed to have completed receiving that transmission a thousand years ago. So we're ready for the next one. What will he do now? Well, he would cause us to embody through our health, the good mind, our vital bodies, 
a creative principle of representing the great peace. What happens if we need condolence and we need comforting for what we've gone through? Well, that's what we'll do tomorrow in our ceremony. We'll turn in the directions and we'll, we'll offer just a very simple ceremony for the whole human race. And then we take our stones and go out into our lives. And then over about the next, mystically maybe four days, it'll take about four days, the human race will have gone through one of those huge movements of consciousness where it will be everywhere. And then I would say in art forms of people's writing or painting or maybe a small short film that's made, you'll go, oh, there's, there's something made in that period or written in that period. Gee, that was a person who was making sure the comforting was addressed or the condolence they needed in the relationship they had with their cousin or comforting they needed for something that they underwent when they were 20 or 3. And it's like the clarifying of that storm. And then all of a sudden, within four or five days, people would realize, what is this creative quality present? I would go, well, we have a world teacher, whether he's known or not known on the earth, who is entering manhood. At the end of this summer, the being Jesus, whose name is Juan, he's in Argentina, Juan Gabriel. He's in the fields of the Lord there. What will he be doing? Will Juan be known publicly or not? What will the Christ force be doing? What will the peacemaker be doing? They're within a year of each other in age. The good mind. There's no way the oneness of that mind will ever be broken. You understand that? People go, who's the Messiah? where's there a great guru? I go, well, you can quote me on this. And here they are, the two. And this child, and this child, and there's no enmity for warfare. Oh my goodness, we must prepare a way for them, for the waterfalls, and the seeds to be planted. Children to learn to read and care for one another beside these two young human beings who are both male without weapons, but with instruments of the great peace as the health of their pathways. And then I probably will speak of this very little again. People go, where are they? I go, they're out there in the fields of the Lord. And then our attention is present with something which hasn't really been here before. We, we of the good mind. And I go, there's Sam, there's Juan. But it doesn't break into two egos. There's nothing to fight over. One is in South America, one is in North America. It's just like they're just in this parallel path. We saw a beautiful fawn uh, just at the side of the road coming up a few miles away on our way up today. So just imagine they're like two, have you ever seen twin fawns together? 
and how they behave together. So, it's like a perfection of, of divine grace. And then they are not so much publicly important that we're studying a religion. We're more studying like a way shower. They, they are embodying where we are going. Will they be publicly known? We'll have to see. Will there be a philosophy for people to follow? There already is. The teachings of Dibbana and however you were raised that teaches you to be virtuous, compassionate, and to yourself. And then, you know, I'll be 70 next year, and within two years I go, they're grown enough that they will be well. Like if, if I died then, not, not because I'm important, but I go, it's like raising a child and going, they're ready. So they need about two years of the prayers of humanity and the loving support beside them as they mature into their adult years. How you uphold their capacity to do that so that they feel the nature of the human family beside them. Yeah. Yes. With this incredible exposure that we're getting from the web telescope. Oh, mm -hmm. surely that's in my my being. I'm feeling that's not just coincidental. Um, it is. I can't describe it. My mind can't wrap mm -hmm. around it. It is otherworldly. Yeah, I think. Uh, I couldn't tell you for how many years, five years, six years, there's been the experience for humankind of our capacity to be with caretaking our lives here, but our, also our healthy relationship to being, uh, to studying the universe, but also being receptive to the universe beyond our ideas of ourselves. It's almost like a, if you have a child who's Two, you teach them ideas that are a two-year-old can handle, and then as they're older, you let them have more and more experiences. So we're starting to learn that there's a larger world than the human ego personality. So I think it'll just be a reciprocity of that. There's a film I saw many years ago. I was in Northern California, um, actually in the, in the town where Jaganawita lives and um, north of San Francisco, and uh, a, a Russian woman was visiting who was probably in her 30s, and she had made a film, and the house that she was staying at was owned by another, another uh, woman healer from Russia, and the filmmaker asked, would everyone be willing to sit down after dinner one of the three evenings I was there and watch this film, and I thought, oh, it'll be a charming little, like, 20-minute I sound terribly patronizing, and I, and I was being patronizing. I thought, she's made some charming little private film, you know, that she's raised money for as a student. It'll be 20 minutes. So I said, I'd love to see your film. It was an hour and a half long. She had interviewed uh, retired astronauts, uh, four- and five-star generals from NATO, and she had footage that the astronauts had taken on their own cameras when they were uh, circling the moon. They had stories about UFOs, different experiences 
in space in their work as scientists, uh, military people, and astronauts. She must have interviewed 50 people. It was so brilliantly done. I said, this is just amazing. She goes, yes, I'm going to Los Angeles. We're, I'm going to try to raise money to see if we could put it out in the public. I never heard another word about it. Mm-hmm. It was just astonishing. It was so beautifully done. Very little of it was um, any input from her. She was the editor and the presenter of um, you know, documentary footage, all of which was done by scientifically and militarily based people. And so it was just gorgeous. Mm-hmm and very heartening, and it caused tremendous serenity for anybody who saw it. And of course I asked, you know, why are these not talked about? Well, they're not allowed to talk about it if they're working here or there. But it was, it was done positively. People were patriotic and supportive of their nations and of the world and of sciences. It was absolutely gorgeous. So we're at a point now where something is happening here on the earth and yet in a relationship to larger principles. So I would be with it at ease meditatively, prayerfully, and then just see what happens with what we address in consciousness, how are scientists present, how do we find our way forward. And importantly, how do we address um, the caretaking of things like the glaciers or the ozone or the various sensitive skins of creation where we don't kind of overreach our capacities to caretake all the subtleties of, you know, what it is to have life on the earth and relationship with other places. That somehow is important, that protective mutual respect that we have. Yeah. And so um, years ago I had the experience that when many of these children were here and we began to move beyond war, that there would begin to be some kind of a relationship with beings from somewhere else. And I was just aware that it was just as simple as that. It was a very deep experience. And then I, is that we would go through challenges of humanity being more warlike. I'd think, oh, please, we don't have to do this, you know. And um, I would just be aware where we going to move into these greater orbits or not. And Iroquois and Hopi uh, leaders have talked to me about these things, and um, they were spoken about by Amici has talked about things like this. There are a number of various beings who've discussed it. But we have to reach a level of inadequate maturity and behavior to have whatever that relationship, I guess, would be. Yeah. Actually, I'll, I'll tell a story in that that I never tell anyone. Um, I was driving down the lake road 20 years ago when I was aware that there was a big argument of whether humanity was going to do this or not. And the electricity went out in like a third of the state and stayed out a big part of the night. But my experience, I drove down to the cottage. I had just come in from being very far away. I was aware that some force from heaven was acting that included consciousness from some other part of the universe that was insisting to try to help humankind beyond war and was aware of this area and that I was 
here, staying for a week or two. And I was aware it is really important that this great peace be addressed, and there are beings in the universe who are aware of it and are helping mankind. It was unmistakable. I've never had any experience like it in my life, and I went to sleep and rested like a child. And when I got up in the morning, the electricity had been on in four, four counties for the last three and a half hours or so. But it was all for, it was a larger outage than I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. It was just, all of a sudden, it was gone. But there was consciousness present. It was unmistakably divine, loving, intelligent, aware, and just was all across the Finger Lakes area. Was it just the great mind of some being on another planet? Was it people that travel in spaceships from there to here? I, I don't propose that I understand it as a human being, but I did understand the benevolent love and attention to helping us, we who are human beings here on the earth, whomever it was or is. Yeah. So we're experimenting and exploring. Let us say it's a mutual conversation within the universe, and so the egoic human being in our possessions or our quests is not the largest part of the conversation. It's more the inner dimension of our wisdom and our innocence toward goodness and love that's really at the center of it, and welcoming the way that that is cosmic or universal as well as earthly. And then I think whatever we do with the telescope and the explorations and whatever is revealed, like, like one of the great things in mysticism is we talk here and it's, quite, it's both effortless and of extreme effort what we're talking about today. And so what happens in deep mysticism is the divine reveals something and we are able to willingly allow that and then try to lovingly become that. And so I think that we're, we're talking about that on a cosmic level. Like, will there be something realized here that includes that which is beyond the earth, yet is also here? And we'll, we'll see what that is. We'll see what that is. Yeah. So, yes. When Pram worked in the space program yes. a long time ago, and I don't remember what shot it was. So he would know. He could ask him, or I could ask him. But there was a, a spaceship that came from the United, the U.S. Went out into space, went somewhere, turned around, and came back, and it was escorted the whole way mm -hmm. by a U.S. What we would call a UFO, and didn't harm it. it just escorted it. Mm -hmm. That's the word I'm using. I don't know if that's the right word. And I. Asked my brother, I said, well, how come we never heard anything about that? He said, well, you know, they like to keep that quiet. They don't want to scare the population, or it's just they just keep it secret. Mm -hmm. But that was at least 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So Linda's brother, Prem, uh, is the biggest nerd I've ever known. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. And he had a program circling... Mars and the it's still circling Mars. It's still circling Mars. So, you know, <laughs> this is his glory. Mm -hmm. It's still circling Mars. When I was little and I was having bad, bad dreams, 
go back to sleep and the dream would continue and I'd go to my older brother in the morning and I'd say, Paul, I had bad dreams last night. So he'd say to me, well, why didn't you just stop the dream? And I'd look at him and I'd like, huh? So he said, Linda, it's like changing the channel on the TV. You just change it. And I was like, oh, okay. So I started working on that. Yeah. So that escorting the the um, the film that this Russian woman made, uh, they had the footage from the astronauts. So they're circling the moon, and they they had taken their private cameras also. And so once they were retired, they were allowed to show that footage, and they they used the same phrase: "We were escorted the entire time we entered the orbit of the moon, until we left it." We were escorted, and he had pictures with his voice on it. Here they are, right outside the window. Just this. Yeah, they weren't this ship, to say anything. you know, around it, lovingly. And they were very. They were aware it must be someone who was benevolent because they they were not really disturbed. And uh, and then as soon as they left the orbit, headed back toward Earth, it was gone. Yeah. So, this, but the same phrase. He he Gordon. used the word escorted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there were pictures. Mm -hmm. There were pictures, but I guess the government was like, NASA mm -hmm. has them or mm -hmm. something. Yeah. So, you know, and I mean, you you before all of us are conceived and born, you know, where were you? <laughs> where will you be after? In some existence, did a lot of people think they don't really exist before they're here or? They don't exist after, so there's a lot of nihilism about that. But I will say, again, in, the, in these mystical ways, for a being like me, there's a lot of remembrance. It's part of my way I was created or constructed. And so there is, you come from a, an aspect that there is a great home for you. And, you know, of which you arise, you arise from within that home. You, you come into existence in forms as a human being, whatever else the divine might do with you, or as a co-creation between you and what one would call God. And then you go on from this form in a manner that is also of your home. It's never taken away from you. And it would only be the places where we have insisted on trying to fight with that and harm one another in our despair that we can't control it or understand it or possess it completely, which just causes more confusion and conflict. But I think letting go of a lot of that suffering we've caused one another historically on the earth is important. And I was thinking of that yesterday. I thought, well, how do I tell people the place to be unafraid or to not, like what if someone threatened you or someone tortured you or someone, you, know, you were in a war zone which many people in the United States have not been, but if you've been in a war zone, they are definitely a different world than the general world that we walk in. But if you're with that, I have known people who've just not given into it. And I've used Joseph Brodsky as a story before. If Joseph was just aware of, they may torture me, they may put me in an institution, lobotomize me, that, that's what they were really threatening him with. He was a brilliant man, so the loss of his intelligence was disturbing to him, but he still would not give in his principle of his internal spiritual alignment. And so he very famously was asked, um, you know, in the court, 
you know, you're such a dilettante, where do you get this idea? You're such a degenerate. Where do you get this idea of your poetry? And he said, I think it comes from God. And the courtroom fell silent because no one used that word. And if you traveled in Russia or China years ago when these things were forbidden, the whole aura of the nation would be like a gray void. People were wonderful and also oppressed, living in that lack of permission to let grace flow through them in whatever religion you might define it. The only women, the only places where people would practice was the old ladies in each country would go into the Orthodox churches and pray and light candles no matter what the guards said. And they would often just sort of be allowed to do that. And the same in China, the women would come into an old Taoist or Buddhist temple with sticks of joss or incense and light them and pray anyway. And, um, but the, the, the loss of loving consciousness that was so tangibly present, and one must please this mental and egoic and emotional and physical idea, a self-reflective idea we have of ourselves. And Brodsky just, he just couldn't not say it. You know, it's from God. And then they, they were so furious with him, they gave him the sentence they decided was the worst one. Maybe they also were afraid they were in the presence of a saint because they sent him to nature. They didn't send him to an institution. But, you know, people said to him, oh my God, you're sentenced to Siberia, it'll be terrible. And so he was sent out to Siberia and given a tiny stipend, not a prison, but a tiny stipend, it would be the equivalent to about $50 US a month. It was enough to rent a little cabin with a wood stove and he cut his own wood. He had four English books with him and he hunted and he read and he hiked. He said it was like one of the two happiest times of his life. Right? And then they expelled him because he became too loved by the world. They didn't know what to do with him. His spirit kind of rose up in that place. He wasn't really politically active, but he was still unmanageable, just the existence of the life force in him as grace was so great. So they, they expelled him from uh, the USSR and they never let him go back. And I will say that was heartbreaking for him. So he could partly hold his spiritual alignment, but he also had the heartbreak of not being allowed um, the good mind within Russia. He could feel it for the Russian people and the other areas that are part of the former USSR, other areas that are now the Stans and Lithuania and um, all the different, Estonia, all these different places that have broken apart. He loved a lot of those places, so he could hold a consciousness for them. And at the same time, he was told, well, they're not holding a consciousness for you. Which is not completely true, but it still was heartbreaking for him. That, that loss. So for any of you, where you feel the places where anybody else isn't supporting the, the idea of the good mind, just say a prayer for that person. Go forward with the places where you can find it in nature and with loved ones. And then it starts to move into a larger quality or a larger 
complex of what it is. So what I did, I was in Russia um, four years ago. Blaine may know more than I do. Four or five years ago. And in St. Petersburg for just a couple of days. So we walked to his favorite area, which was outside of the Hermitage. And, um, you know, I don't walk really well. And this young couple came to help us get a taxi because nobody would stop. And they were going to have a concert nearby so that all the traffic had been diverted. So they walked along, this young couple, and just made sure I was taken care of all the way until we got a car like a quarter of a mile away. It was so much like him. So when we turned for me to get in the car, I asked them, do you know who Joseph Brodsky is? Oh, yes. I said, you know, I was engaged to be married to him when I was a very young woman. He would be so proud of you today if he were alive. And I got in the car. Mm. You understand that? I, I brought his favorite place of Russia back to him. But as I was thinking that, walking outside of the museum with Blaine, and we were aware that it was going to be hard to get a car, and where we had to go was like several miles. These, this couple just comes walking right out. Can I help you? I said, oh, we have to go a long way. It's all right. We have time. See, so even there, that quality of having been adopted by Twyla answered me. And I knew you have to stop. The taxi driver was ready to take off. I didn't make him wait a long time. I didn't not have him in the good mind, too. But I knew you must tell this couple. And they will not forget what you told them. Right? See, so this principle I'm speaking of will not fail because it's been shown through the Earth, the other planets, and heavenly bodies, Twyla so loved. It's been shown, it's time now. It's time now. So what we'll do tomorrow in a ceremony is, she asked me when she was alive to go and offer the condolence ceremony at the Alamo. <clears throat> and she was living in Florida and I said to her, I'm not so sure that the people at the Alamo will want me to do that. <laughs> Well, if they want you to, then you're to conduct an actual formal ceremony on her behalf. And if they didn't, I was just to go and uh, be ready myself and, and pray privately at the gates of the, what's called the shrine there, or by there's a huge gorgeous oak tree there by spring or well. I was to go by the gates or inside the shrine or over by the tree by myself. But she wanted me to go to the director of the Alamo and ask him if we could do the condolence ceremony. And she said um, it, she knew that it needed to be offered so there would not be a great war. And she asked me, will you do this for me? And I said, of course I will. So I was living in uh, Arizona. I had gone there because of health challenges. And um, I flew by myself, Blaine took me to the airport. I came into San Antonio and met with the director of the Alamo. And then on the ceremonial day of Wounded Knee, right in late December, the director of the Alamo and I came and did the ceremony in front of the doors of the shrine with the Texas Rangers on either of our sides. And he just began weeping, as one is to do in the condolence ceremony.
And so it's already been done. But because humanity didn't embody the principle, it's, we've come forward here today and tomorrow to represent, well, it's now going out to the world from the Alamo and the Finger Lakes through the stones of Twyla's people just as the divine has asked of her. And then humanity's ready for this next step of embodying that principle. So I did that 20, it'll be 20 years ago this December that I will have done that. So we are ripe enough for this next step. And then it occurs. Yeah. So the different geographies of each of your lives are mine and each nation of the world, all the people who've made things possible. And then, what shall the destiny be of the earth and the human being? It's a very serious question. That we are right in the middle of that. What shall the destiny be of the earth and the human being? So in the, in the wampum belts of, of Hiawatha and Ghanawea and the Confederacy, well, what strand of that are you? That's everything and all you have to do is be that. You know, there are no dinosaurs any longer. They had a time that they lived. There are certain trees. Roses were here when dinosaurs were here. They've been here for over five million years. How long shall there be roses on the earth? We'll see. My sister got these. She said, I, I want to send roses. Would you like that? And I said, I would love that. She goes, I, I said, well, there are lots of wildflowers. She goes, I know that, I know, but I want, there to be, I want there to be roses that are, that are there when you are there this weekend. So those are from Terry. So how long shall there be roses upon this planet? They came at a certain time. They will leave at a certain time. That's of the good mind. That's not of, no, I want roses always. I always want the human being to live on the earth. I go, that's not real. That's just that one is afraid one doesn't understand a greater identity than who you are as a human being now in this body. So you trust the idea, from where do the roses come? Where shall they go? And you let your, yourself have that same home. And then what happens now with the earth and the human race and the roses? And be undisturbed by that and just be the best human being or the best thread of that wampum belt that you can be. And don't worry about something beyond that. Let every other human being do their own homework because they're coming from a certain aspect of the creator. They're going back into a certain aspect of the creator. Let them. Let them. Let there be a greater capacity than your own brilliance or love. And trust that greater brilliance and love. And then just be that, that thread of the wampum that you are. The roses are a great way as a metaphor of, you know, there were where were the roses before they were on the earth? What were they? What are they here? Where shall they go? And then the same, the same with oneself. 
And then last, I think that in the dimensions of the great peace, there will be transmissions which occur where you'll experience that something very loving or intelligent has happened on the earth. And it will probably be coming from some of the younger saints and sages on the earth, although many of them will not be public. I don't know if they'll write music or be, you know, farmers or shopkeepers or work with computers. You know, all of a sudden you'll feel something and realize some, there's holiness present. Then just allow, oh, beyond the good mind, something of God has occurred, something of heaven, something divine, something holy. I am an instrument allowing and embracing that. And then just let it ripen in you. And then you'll realize this is going on all over the planet. And if there's to be a public metaphor, like a public teacher, a figure, someone who's speaking or writing, you'll all of a sudden hear about it. Oh, there's this person over there, or there's someone here, or there's been a miracle over here. And I go, great, how wonderful that there would be a public representation. We simply allow that to happen. Well, I think we can do a meditation to close for the day. And um, I want you to be aware as we go into the evening tonight of two qualities. Uh, well, first of all, there are a lot of Old Order Mennonite and Amish people who've settled in these regions of these lakes in the last maybe 40 years. So there may be horse-drawn carriages that come by and uh, farms where you're seeing farm stalls or garages where they have I think produce for sale and things. So there's a tremendous, uh, or people on bicycles, a lot of people on bicycles. We came by and there were two women walking from their barn area to their farmhouse and they had their bonnets and beautiful calico dresses and they had uh, bunches of sunflowers they were carrying. It was beautiful. But a lot of them came up into this area to get away from the tourism in the Lancaster, Pennsylvania area and uh, there just weren't enough farms for sale for them to be able to expand in the younger generations. But as you come into the night tonight, please be aware of two aspects. One of them, allow yourself while we're here together to be sort of filled up, filled up by the blessing of heaven. Like, what is my path? Are my cells of my body able to be the healthy, vital, resilient, um, you know, cells of a, a wise person and a humble good person up to old age and allow there to be your long-lived ancestors and allow there to be the miraculous moving from heaven through you so that if you have anomalies or challenges in your body maybe they'll be gone maybe they'll stay but i say this to you because where i'm staying it occurred to me, I wasn't even thinking of this, it occurred when we got here the other night, I told John, you know, I lived in this cottage the summer when I had cancer. This is 40 years ago. I had three oncologists tell me, you know, you have less than six months to live, and it's a long story, I've told it many times. But where I came, uh, after the Dalai Lama's doctor took care of me, Ashidandan, the late Ashidandan, who's now a child living in, uh, New York City in the Hudson River Valley, little child. 
he treated me and he said, I know how to treat you. You have two diseases at the same time. And they had said that you have two forms of lymphoma. One would be treatable, but not both. There's no way we can save you. And so I came up here and I rode a bicycle and I supervised all the swimming and uh, lifeguards at Cuca College. And I put my bike in a boat and would take it across the lake and go up the lake road and go to the college and supervise the people. And I lifeguarded on the big stand over the lake three afternoons a week. I had my big great dog with me, Lucci. And you know, I got completely better. And yet I never got my physical strength back. And a lot of why I don't walk easily is more damage I have from the lymphoma in my legs than it is my ski and hiking accidents. But I was in this area and the doctor said to me, it's not possible what's happened to you. <laughs> it's not possible. And they said that when I injured this like skiing. Worst skiing injury they'd seen in like a year and a half. And what did Do Dr. George Marshall say? It's not possible. What's healed in your leg? It should. So my leg is still injured, you know, I don't walk easily on it, but he told my parents, you know, she's never gonna walk period, again. I've walked all over the world. Blaine and I have walked all over the world, right? So whatever you have aging or as anomalies in the body, just at this seminal weekend that is so significant, honoring Twyla and her unshakable faith in the legacy of her people and of all people, she would say, the peacemaker said, all for one and one for all. And there is no other law but that. that was, that's her phrase. There is no other law but that. If one lives by that law, one will know what to do. She was, because I would sort of follow that and she would correct my thinking. She'd say, your mind is too adept. You need to keep it more private. You're, you're trying to pay attention to what I'm thinking. And I said, I'm sorry, Graham, you were going to teach me. She goes, I know. Just stay in that chair and let me teach you. <laughs> and I said, I'm, I'm sorry. She said, that's fine, but it's all for one and one for all. And she realized that I did not actually understand that yet. So she repeated that to me many times. It is always, always all for one and one for all. So this pressure from mankind fighting was so great that two weeks ago I told John and Blaine, I don't know if I'll be well enough to get on a plane to go. The argument is so great. And I was aware, you have got to do this. And then several days ago, I was aware, wow, the tide is turning, this transmission that Twyla is insisting, it's time that we're ready for it. Mankind is ready for it. I could feel it. She is right, humanity is ready for it, rather than the horrific argument that's there. So as we're present with this in this really seminal weekend of her work and blessing that she insisted be brought forward, because her own relatives argued over it. Now you're Scottish, you shouldn't be wearing the native clothes. You're going to this school. Well, you're Oneida. Well, no, you're really Seneca. You're of this, you're wolf clan, but you also should be studying more of this clan. You shouldn't be teaching the outside people so much. Then her, one of her sons was killed in a terrible fire, the one she was going to pass the teaching on to. 
So when she talked to me, she said, you must, you must do this. Right? So she has another son, Bob, and his wife, Lee. But there are different children where there are different bodies of work. They carry much of her teaching, much of her written work. I would try telephoning them before we were bringing, over the last few weeks, and I wasn't able to reach them. But I'm honoring them today because they cared for her in her last years. They have represented the goodness of her work. And this is very common in a matrilineal society. This son does this part of the work, that son does that part of the work. So when her one son died, she asked of me, I need you to do this part of the work. So as we're with this on this weekend, then I would say if you have things in your body that are difficult for you as you age or just difficult in health, see how the heavens rearrange you so that you are humble, like the way I still can't walk easily or whatever I go through, but where you are also fulfilled by this quality of the health and the, the good mind and the peace that is considered part of the great peace. So the body of the human being, according to Daganawita, is peaceful. So anybody who's been working on these principles has had this part of them beaten to a pulp in the last 30 or 40 years. If you walk forward in the world, the peacemaker is always, a peacemaker is seen as weak. While they killed Gandhi, well, that's just ineffective. I go, no, I'm sorry, Daganawita was not ineffective. Well, the peacemaker is just a weak being. A peacemaker is a weak being. I go, not the peacemaker, not a weak being. Well, who's he? I go, well, he's the one who took that which was falling for a thousand miles in his arena and wove it all back into God. So he's doing this now over the entire planet. So while we're here together, being given both the assignment of this attention and courage to sit together and speak of this, we are also given the blessing of the great peace part of which is peace as a human being and health as a human being and vitality and inspiration and virtue in the direction of one's path. And then just allow that to be greater than your own understanding. And then whatever is left that's difficult, if it's me walking with my cane or just challenges I have aging, I go, it's fine. I am peaceful, filled with peace. Child of the wampum. Beyond the need for condolence and comforting. Hiawatha helped me so much and all people with that so long ago. On his behalf tomorrow and Ganawitas and Twalas and Jakonsas we will offer the condolence ceremony here on this hilltop for all of the human race. And then what are our bodies and our lives like as we go out? And 
we are then a metaphor or a symbol as occurs in every deep story of mankind. The figures of that story are symbolic for the whole human race. Who are we? What are our incarnations like? What are our lives like? What is our health and well-being like as we go out? And just allow that. And if your mind is temperamental or your personality or emotions are conflictual, just allow that and turn them to the good mind. May we be of the good mind. And then just the beauty of the land and the, the sweetness of the, of the land and the place here. So let's do a meditation and, and then we'll close for the night and we'll gather at, at noon tomorrow for our uh, ceremony. You're welcome to say something during it if you'd like or to just be quiet and still as we go through it and we'll just decide if we should do it outside or inside. Um,